Welcome to Once More with Commentary, a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Jenny. And I'm Allie. And today we're talking about potential and Calvary. Calvary. We've had to do this intro a few times, and I told Allie I wasn't going to make the same joke, so now I've, or rather that I was going to make the same joke, but then that made me self-conscious about it, so I didn't. But suffice it to say, I have to read Calvary so that I don't say Cavalry. Yeah. Should we should we explain at the top of it or do you want to wait like the yeah. difference? Because I was telling you like before we started <laughs> recording that I actually just learned a new word. <laughs> I I I did know the word Calvary Calvary. Jesus. I know I definitely know the horse one. Calvary I have a vague understanding of. You should explain it. I think a lot of people know, uh, but maybe not. Do well, I just cavalry, know Cavalry like C-A-V-A-L-R-Y, cavalry, is like the horse one where it's mm-hmm. like, it's an, it's a unit of the military that is on horseback. Like, that's basically the cavalry. Yeah. Then this episode is calvary, C-A-L-V-A-R-Y. <laughs> so the L mm. has moved around. And I was like, oh, are they just misspelling it? But apparently, calvary... It has two definitions. The first is an open-air representation of the crucifixion of Jesus. I think we can safely assume that's not the definition of this episode. Oh, yeah. And the second one is an experience of usually, is it usually or unusually intense mental suffering? Oh, that, okay. So that, I didn't know that one. I only knew the Jesus one. I thought it was, and it's not, I mean, it is sort of what you said, but I thought it was like, it's the crucifixion site. No, it's it's a way to describe it. No, it is. Yeah, That's but, what I'm, yeah. So this secondary definition, I think, is what they're going for, which is, like, just really intense mental suffering. Oh, I just, the other secondary one I saw was Place of Skulls, and I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess there was that skull. Well, all right, well, we'll talk about what we think it means <laughs> later, and I have some conclusions based on how well I think it uh, uh, means anything. <laughs> uh, they won't shock anybody who's listened to this <laughs> show before. <laughs> Um, but yeah, well, I'll ask an abbreviated, how are you doing? Cause we have to keep a tighter schedule than normal today. <laughs> I'm good. Um, <laughs> it's been exactly two days since I talked to you, mm-hmm. um, which means it's Tuesday mm-hmm. in real time and mostly all day I've thought it's Wednesday, so yeah. I'm doing great. <laughs> yeah. I've been constantly disappointed all day. <laughs> yeah. That's a terrible feeling. Yeah. I literally woke up at like 4 a.m., 5 a.m., both times convinced, oh, it's okay, it's Wednesday. Both times Mm. realized, nope, it's only Tuesday, and Mm. then kept doing that throughout the day. And then I'm also like, it's a frenzy of a week for me because I'm like traveling at the end of the week, and I Mm -hmm. was like sitting here, I was like, oh, should I do that thing that people do, which is like pre-adjust to the jet lag? Like, Mm. I don't know. Mm -mm. Have you ever done that? No, never. Yeah, I don't know. I was debating doing it. That doesn't seem like it gains you anything. The thing I was thinking, because I have to take a red eye, so I was like, maybe it'll help me sleep on the plane if at 11 p.m. I'm actually like dead on my feet instead of just tired. Hmm. Um, Like if it's 2 a.m. my time, then... Maybe I'll sleep better, and then I won't be so dead when I get there. But I probably won't do that. I don't think I have time to do that. Yeah. You know, it I actually don't, because I have to, like, yeah, I have to, like, leave, go out of the city on Thursday night. It, actually, that won't go well if I'm, <laughs> if I'm trying to be on East Coast time. <clears throat> okay, I've talked myself out of it. How are you? 
<laughs> oh, fine. Busy, a little grouchy, trying to get all my work done and not turn things in late. And it's just not always possible. Yeah. And you know what is really annoying and stressful are modern jobs. They really are. And I hate them. I don't love it. <laughs> it's really, it just could be a lot better. Yeah. I feel like I had another thing to add there, but I already forgot what it was. So, oh, I know what I was going to say. The only, okay. So this is both a point of stress and a happy thing is that I am, we are really need to order our wedding invitations and I am annoyed because there's been a technical glitch that's like made it so that I haven't been able to place my order, even though I've known for over a week what I wanted. And I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm like, I need to just, I like, I don't have a backup plan. I'm just using like one of those online websites. And I was like, I thought this would be easy. It's where we got our save the dates. It was fine. So I'm a little bit like, I really, I, I still have a little bit of time, but I'm like really annoyed that I can't just check this stupid thing off my list. Um, so on that realm, it's very, it's stressful. It's eating away at me that I can't just finish. I just can't effing finish this stupid thing. But the fun part of it is that, um, second to buying a dress, a fancy dress, um, buying invitations is, is pretty fun. And, uh, the, you know, where you people, they'll, they'll send you uh, paper samples and I am oh, nice. very taken with them. I literally got a box. <laughs> it's like a, a beautiful, I so wasteful, but it's a beautiful box. And then inside it's all the different types of paper. And I, I specified like, Oh, I want to see what these five invitations look like in real life. And then, then, you know, they just send you little dummy ones or whatever, but like they all have foil on them. I love foil, like foil on a, <laughs> like on a cover or like on a, yeah, on stationery or on book. And then they got some other, you know, effects that they can do. So I have to say getting that little package today. And also when I I ordered the samples and I was like, well, these aren't going to come in time for me to even see them. We just made a decision separate of that. But then they came today and I was like, well, I guess I did actually get to use these after all, which is mostly disappointing. But the foil is beautiful and I would look at it. I would do this part again. I feel like I should tell everyone listening that I think knowing you as long as I have, it has occurred to me, I would never do this, but it has occurred to me that I could just like send you paper you could. for like Christmas and yeah. you would just be so happy. I would be. I buy a lot of paper. So like I'm imagining you like picking out your invitations. I'm like, yeah, that, that checks out. I guess it would have been more fun to like go to a paper source and do it, but it's way more expensive than doing like Minted or Zola, which is what we are doing. So really, and the only part that's the technical glitch is that they can't, they're supposed to self-address or like address print the addresses on everything for, for you. You know, like you can upload it in a spreadsheet. It worked perfectly for our save the date. So I like really wasn't anticipating like to have a problem at all. And I like literally cannot get them to save. And it's so frustrating. And so I'm like, I, I guess I'll just handwrite them all, which like is also kind of fun for me, but like, it's just gonna look stupid. So I don't want to do that. It'll take a while. And I'll probably get one wrong. I've like checked all, you know, checking the spread. I already made the spreadsheet. I don't want to have to do it again. So Anyway, so we'll see. I think you should call customer support. I did. I have a a ticket open and they like are like, we're still working on it. I was like, okay, but I like need to place my order. (laughs) We'll see. Okay, but people need to be invited to my wedding. Yeah. Um, So I guess that sounds like silver lining. You got to see the samples. Silver lining got to see the samples. It didn't make a difference. We already knew what we were going to do by that point, but I did still like getting it. So. But now you're like the little kitty in the box who's just like got all the fun like I love it. Even like, yeah, things. I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> they have like gloss printing now and then they have black foil which I really wanted to use but I couldn't talk Alex into it. <laughs> so it looks really cool if you print black foil on black paper. 
I think. <laughs> Maybe every, hard to read, though. Not everybody, well, not for the text, just for the accents. Oh, okay. But it made it look too formal or too mm. art deco. That was the other one we kept running into. Anyway, whatever. Can't wait for you to see them. Hopefully they come. <laughs> well, now that I know the backstory, I'm going to be so impressed. Well, yeah, <laughs> you should be. Oh, boy. Um, okay. Uh, speaking of foil, I don't have a segue. And <laughs> Someone is foiled. <laughs> Maybe. Into, uh, let's talk about potential. Yes. Because I think we were both excited for this episode. I was. And I think after having watched it, I'm still excited for this yes, episode. Yes, I was literally um, going to say that. Yes, agreed. Yeah. Great episode. Is this great, a great moment. Such a great episode. Great moment for some of our characters. It's it's actually like, especially coming on the heels of like the uh, last some one. Some disappointing episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I'm really excited to talk about this one. <sighs> I, I'm so excited to be positive. Me too. Especially before we talk about Angel. So... <laughs> <laughs> So let's do a really brief recap. And I'm going to try to keep it super brief because I mm-hmm. think really it's a pretty basic story in this one, which is that Willow gets a call from her coven um, or her former coven that she spent time with while she was recovering in England. They've got, as we've previously established, like a really powerful seer. And they let them know that actually there's been a potential under their noses the entire time. And she lives in Sunnydale and somehow has gone undetected at this point by both um, the Scoobies and also um, whatever means Giles is hunting them down and also, like, the Harbingers. So the first is as yet unaware of this potential Slayer as well. Um, So Buffy's been busy training the other Slayers, and they decide, oh, yeah, you know, Giles is off, I think, picking up another one in China, so... Um, they've got to try to figure out who she is. And Willow decides time is of the essence. You know what? I can actually do a spell that will guide us to find the Slayer. So Buffy takes the other potential Slayers out on a training excursion to a crypt. And while she's gone, Willow, Anya, Xander, and Dawn um, put this spell into motion. And Apparently, it's just mostly really stinky. They think it doesn't really work. And Dawn goes to kind of open the front door to let the stench out. And she gets hit by basically this glowy orb that they've summoned. And, like, basically, it appears to be that Dawn is actually the potential that's been living in Sunnydale. Which they all kind of think, hey, this makes sense. Like, Dawn and Buffy share blood. So maybe she is one of the potentials. And Dawn, who has been kind of feeling a little bit left out um, by Buffy training all the potentials, is, you know, both a little shocked to be a potential slayer, but also kind of seems like she's ready to embrace her destiny and take on whatever this means. I mean, it means that maybe her sister has to die for her to become the Slayer, and, like, you know, it's going to be, as Anya keeps saying, a hard and brutal life, but, you know, Dawn's ready. So she sneaks out of the house to go for a walk, I guess, to clear her head. She runs into a student from Sunnydale High who we had previously seen talking to Buffy, um, as one of her students, she's counseling and this girl says, oh, I fell because I or got scratched by a vampire in the show choir room or something. I trapped this vampire in the high school. And so Dawn's like, well, I'm a potential slayer. Let's go kill it. So they go to the high school and they do end up fighting this vampire. And at the same time that they're fighting this vampire, the harbingers show up as well. And un 
unexpectedly to Dawn, the Harbingers go after this other girl. And so Dawn immediately realizes, oh, well, actually, I'm not the potential slayer. It was her. She was on her way to our house to talk to Buffy, and she got hit by this glowing light. So Dawn immediately is like, this is your destiny. You need to embrace it, and you're the only person who can kill this vampire because, oh, by the way, we've got to deal with these Harbinger demon guys that are here. And at that point, Buffy and Xander and Spike have shown up to the high school um, because they realized Dawn was missing. They tracked her down. And um, I forget this girl's name. But she ends up killing the vampire. <laughs> Not Millie. Buffy and Spike. Yeah, basically, right? <laughs> Buffy and Spike too. kill the um, Harbingers, and um, they've kind of saved the day. And Dawn decides, oh, well, you know what? I'm going to buckle down and do some research and be helpful. And Xander gives her a really fantastic speech. I'm editorializing, sorry, about <laughs> what it means to be the normal person on the, in the group and on the sidelines and watch your friends be more and more special and realize that you're not powerful like them, but you still show up every day, and that's the real hard work that it takes to do. And, yeah, we end the episode on that that lovely note. So yeah. that wasn't, sorry, that wasn't as uh, swift and high-level <laughs> as I wanted it to be. But there's a lot, like, a lot going on in this episode for not much really happening. Right, I agree. Um, it had a little bit better pacing was, than some, well, for the most part. Yeah. I I want to start by touching on something that you said last week, um, which was, uh, I, you know, I was uncharacteristically unmoved by the, like, Buffy rescuing Spike at the end of the last episode. And I, maybe I just chalk it up to, like, maybe I just wasn't paying attention enough, or maybe, maybe it wasn't that great of a moment, but, um, you know, when this episode played, it did the little kind of recap before, and it, or... I forget if it was in the official recap or it was just like, you know, whatever Hulu does when you play it. But basically there was like a, it was the official one. Um, there were just like a little, they, they showed that scene again of Buffy and Spike walking out of the dungeon arm in arm. And that oddly really resonated with me. <laughs> I was like, oh, maybe they're doing something really nice here. And I don't know how much this is going to stick or not. And obviously, you know, the Spike we've, I think, talked forever uh, as much as we could ever need to about why the choices that they made for him last season were bad. And maybe we don't want to forgive him, but if we're going to, I, it's not even really if we're going to forgive him, but like, I really like that for a second I got to see like, Oh, Buffy and Spike are just respecting each other and like leaning on one another. Obviously in that instance, it's just Spike leaning on Buffy, but like, I don't know, I guess I just mean to say that felt more than anything that has ever happened in the show. Like they had mutual respect for one another. And that really, I was like, Oh, okay. I I did like that scene. Sorry. That was long winded way to say, I agree with the thing that you said last week, but it, it, it hit me a little harder seeing it at the beginning of this episode. Yeah, and I think you're right, and I'm glad you brought that up, because I think it kind of segues into something that is a through line of this episode that I didn't really mention, which is Buffy, like, making casual, like, asides about confusing feelings, and, like, obviously she's recalibrating her own feelings for Spike in the wake of him holding up against the first, and also the other potential slayers are clearly noticing there's some kind of Mm -hmm. dynamic between Buffy and Spike. Um, And I also thought when they both showed up at the school, it felt a little bit like, well, ironically, like the 
cavalry has come to save the day, <laughs> but like, but also like they had this very, it's like they were a unit, like yes. the way they were fighting, like they both showed up and like Buffy like throws them the knife and like they're just like, they're working as a team in a way that like we haven't really seen and like they really seem to be on the same page and like their goals are the same and it's like whether it should be romantic or not is like kind of you know, not the point of the questions, I think. No, no, episode, I totally like, agree. It is, yeah, but it is really nice to see, like, because Spike is still recovering from what he went through with the first, and mm-hmm. but to see him, like, helping Buffy train the Slayers, yeah, seeing them work together, it's just really nice to see. And it is really nice. It's like, also really confusing as a viewer because not six episodes ago, we were, you know, like, oh, God, they wrote themselves into a hole they can never get themselves out of. And I'm not saying that, like, this is erasing all the actions that no. unfortunately wrote him into, but it. I'm saying with a little distance from that, I, in isolation, am enjoying this dynamic. No, I agree. I do wish that... I don't know the right way to say that without being like, I I've just dismissed the really po- problematic elephant in the room, but I haven't. I, I just... I think the choices I, that you can... You can not move on, and I think that's valid, or you can move on, and if you want to, they're finally giving us something to grasp onto, whereas they haven't been this for the rest since it happened. So, like, yeah, I agree. I don't I, I don't mean to say that I like it to, like, dismiss what's happened, but we are still watching this show, and if you want to move on, I think this is, you know, I, I, I do have, like, actual, like, I just pretend that didn't happen. And it's not that I think that's a real-world solution to my problems, but with with this piece of fiction that I love and want to continue to love, I am occasionally maybe going to throw something in, in the vault. Well, so I would say now I can just be like, oh, yeah, it's always, not that it's always been this, but, like, I can start fresh here maybe a little bit. I also feel like yeah. I'm saying this incorrectly. It's just a personal choice <laughs> with a piece of fiction in this instance for me. Well, and I would say that the way forward is to, like, really buy into this concept that right. Spike and with a soul and Spike without a soul are entirely agreed. different people. Which agreed. the show, Buffy has always not played that line the same way that Angel has in that they seem to more frequently make the case that even with a soul, the vampire is somewhat responsible for the actions of the soulless vampire. Hmm. But I feel like they are moving away from that in probably for convenience and also so that this storyline isn't utterly ridiculous. Right. No, it's a good point. That's the only way it makes sense. But I feel like the way Buffy has been talking to Spike, we saw her in the last, or not the last episode, the one before he got taken, you know, telling him he's trying to confess his past to her and he, she's saying, no, that wasn't you. Mm -hmm. And Spike seems to be implying that it is, but I guess for us conveniently, Buffy is buying into this other theory. So I don't really know how to take it. And I don't think I want to solve that. Here. Right. No, agree. But it is for me the only way to really kind of split that because we talked about this last season. Like the unfortunate thing about that storyline is they really wrote themselves into a corner that I'm not sure any of this really gets them out of. Um, because yeah. at the end of the day, you have to look at Spike and remember that scene in the bathroom. So right. I I don't really have a way to like reconcile that, but I think the show is well, insisting that we do, so I'm going to just go along for the ride, because or, otherwise I can't watch the rest of this <laughs> Right. I guess, and the other thing to note is that, uh, sort of like what I was saying, it's not so much that I like forget that it happened, it's just that I never believed that 
in my headcanon, that didn't happen because I don't buy it. It doesn't make sense to me for all the reasons that we already went over. So yes, do I buy this dynamic between them? I do. And obviously that's like totally hypocritical and I'm not suggesting that everybody live, live, live this way, but like, yeah, it, I never believed that that would happen previously for a bunch of reasons, or I maybe, you know, or I just don't want to. So this is a dynamic I do want to believe I just sound like I'm living in a fantasy world, (laughs) but I will again reiterate that I don't live my life like this completely in real life. I hope maybe, I don't know. God only knows. Wow. Okay. That got a little off topic. Suffice it to say, I feel like I appreciate that if we're going to rebuild a relationship, they're rebuilding with some respect. I do wish that they had held off on the insinuate implications of romance though. I feel like that would have made that even a little bit stronger is to be like, Oh, can Buffy and Spike reconnect as partners or friends in some other level besides just being attracted to one another. And like, they're still more or less conveying that, but I feel like I wish they had left that out for another episode or two, yeah. at least, you know, to I know they're going to go there like again, a but. solid foundation to kind of build off of. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say, though, I also appreciate that finally, I think for the first time ever, there is a valid reason for Spike to be around, like, as part of the group. (laughs) Just, like, (laughs) as a sparring partner for the potentials. I was like, oh, for once, if Buffy was like, no, we got to keep him around so that we can train the potentials, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Literally every other time she's defended that choice, I've been like, whatever. (laughs) You're not making any sense. Well, and even in this episode, the potentials are kind of questioning why, like, Spike is around a little bit. And, Mm -hmm. like, I was trying to think about like what it would be like for them to like show up and you're hearing about this vampire that the first is captured and you're wondering why the slayer is bothering about rescuing a vampire and then she she rescues him and then he's just around and he's like your training partner and that just has to be such a weird thing but also like must be a great intro to this concept of like everything is not black and white right and nothing is what your vampires are helpful yeah it's just it's really funny because I'm like, it would be really bizarre and like hard to justify his involvement in all of this. But then also like Andrew is around. So like, why is he there? You know, I mean, like they're protecting him begrudgingly, but it's true. They have no reason to really keep him around. No, so. they don't. He's literally just comedic relief, like even for them, except they don't seem to find him funny. <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I said that I uh, thought the pacing was a little bit better in this episode, but I don't know if I totally believe that. And I will admit that Buffy's kind of um, lecture mode is wearing on me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, hey, I don't need to hear you give him another speech, which I think again was like a little bit the part of point of this episode, because by the end of it, she's like, okay, that's done. Now you have to just figure it out yourselves. But I feel like I did have I... to spend the whole episode listening to her still. <laughs> I think really Sarah Michelle Gellar did a great job in the scene in the crypt where she just kind of drops the stake and walks out. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was like, she really sold that idea of like, good luck. Yeah. (laughs) And like, also, I think it was, she also, I don't know if this was, it wasn't really implicitly or like explicitly called out, but I did like the, the neat follow up that I saw of Buffy in Showtime fighting the Turrican like basically demonstrating for them in real time a fight to the death where you have to win because the option, like the alternative is not an option. And then she kind of puts them in a similar situation with the vampire in the crypt. Like they shut the door with them and their only option is to kill the vampire or get killed by the vampire. And it's 
smaller stakes. Uh, I, I would like to think that eventually Buffy would have like jumped in if it got really dire, but she really put them in a position where it was like kill this vampire because the alternative is not an option. Yeah. And coming on the heels of Showtime, I thought that was actually a really nice thread that, oh, yeah. like she's actually teaching them something and here's the the test, if you will. Yeah. I did question if uh, she would have saved them, though, because she did make a remarkably quick uh, trip from the crypt to Sunnydale High <laughs> to rescue Don. I was like, oh, did she not stick around? <laughs> Yeah, it was really unclear how Buffy knew Dawn was at the house because they had already said that Buffy didn't have her phone. So, like, who let Buffy know that Dawn was at the high school? Yeah, I know. They Then seemingly they had to actually physically track her down. I'm like, I don't buy this timeline at all. But fine. I mean, like, maybe because Xander showed up with them. So, like, maybe he went and found Buffy. I don't know. But, like, yeah, that was a little bit iffy to me that was like the one place where I was like this kind of fell apart because no I totally agree I was like why how did Buffy get here I like literally was like what yeah and like how big is Sunnydale we've had this question before but yeah um how does Buffy and everybody like run all over town yeah is the graveyard the football field of the high school (laughs) I mean maybe it might be (laughs) yeah that that was a little iffy, but I don't really want to dwell too much on the plot holes. Because no, I agree. It really cuts away. Like Xander needed to be there to like witness Dawn giving right. the the potential Slayer the staff to kill the vampire, and like you know, Buffy and Spike have to show up to save the day. But yeah, other than that, I don't. Yeah, it, it was a little weird. But so you think the implication, or I I know that this is, well, I'm mostly sure that this is true, but they seem to suggests that the, the potentials, just by fact of being potential slayers, do in fact still have some sort of special skills, right? I feel like they're playing they're a little saying. fast. They're playing a little fast and loose with that because it just doesn't, they don't demonstrate it really, but they said it a few times, right? Like, in my mind, if they have, yeah, they definitely say it, but like in my mind, if they have an edge on other people, it's really minuscule and like they're only getting it by training because... They they right now don't seem to be exhibiting any sort of yeah. extra reflexes or strength or anything. And it's a little sad because it's like they're throwing a bunch of unprotected girls to the vampires, but I mean they don't really have a choice. But yeah, I it doesn't really seem like they have an edge over like the other girl versus Dawn with the vampire doesn't really seem like there should be any reason yeah, I guess she has a better chance of killing the I vampire than Dawn. Say, I guess that's what I'm saying. I guess that's what I'm saying. Because like, she has no training and she has whatever potential power, but Dawn actually has training. So it seems like they could, could be equally capable of killing the vampire. Yeah. It just seems weird that I'm like, oh, Dawn, you didn't actually have to. I mean... I know, it's for the sake of the narrative. Because then also, that whole concept really undercuts the finale. Well, if, like, they already have, like, these potential skills, then... Hmm, we'll have to talk about that more in the finale, because the way I'm picturing it, it doesn't exactly, but maybe I'm wrong. No, like, obviously, they're not at the full extent of their powers, but it just doesn't seem like there's anything special about them, so... Yeah. Also, they're just still really annoying. They are. I mean, and, and Don does, like, already know so much more than they do and have so much more experience. They should be listening to Don, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Although I will say that I did find some of their training very 
amusing. I love that Buffy took them to the bar and they were like, oh my God, can we get a drink? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. Yeah. Although I feel cheated. Like, I really want to see Clem's real face. Yeah, that's true. I was really happy. We've never had any indication that those skin folds are hiding something. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad we got to see them, though. Yeah. Also, I love, I don't know if this was intentional, but like Clem telling Buffy that he saw something on the History Channel that she would really like made me really laugh because I was like, would Buffy watch the History Channel? That was like historically her worst subject. So (laughs) does Buffy like history now? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it was something about like fighting or weapons or something. Maybe, but I was like me, you know, I was like laughing because I was like, oh, wait, that doesn't track. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do. Um, I could watch a show about Clem. I feel like I could watch an episode about Clem. Let's let's be honest. (laughs) Let me dial that back a little bit. Like a day in the life of Clem. A day in the life of Clem. Like, I like that he still gets to hang out at this bar, even though he's like, is he doing evil? You know, like, is it just being a demon enough for other demons to not harass you? Or like, is he... He's got a good enough self-defense that he doesn't get picked up. Like, I'm just curious what his dynamic with other demons is. Is he secretly doing horrible things and we just don't know about it? I don't think so. Maybe he's, like, their source for kittens. And that's what Alex suggested was, like, he's just good enough at poker that they are fine with it. I was like, maybe. Or he's the one who provides the currency. Could be. He's got a little cat Maybe breeding he's the business. Bank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's uh, not hard. <laughs> Hmm. Um, all right. Well, do you, do you want to talk about the crux of this episode? I do. I really do. Which I, I mean, I was just really crying. Yeah, totally. And I I knew it was coming, obviously. I know. I knew it was coming. I was expecting it. It was still so powerful. And the fact that it came from Sander of all people. Yeah. I really had a moment where I was like, if you had told me two seasons ago, we would be sitting with these two characters and I would be happy about it. Like, I would not. I know. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) I just think that, like, also, too, we've never, the show has never really given us an indication of this from Xander that he, like, obviously he's always the guy who gets knocked out. He's always the person (coughs) in the fight who maybe shouldn't be. And, you know, he is, he is valued on the team. Like even when the, the watchers council comes to Sunnydale, like Buffy very clearly is like, this person is more valuable than any of you because he's here every day fighting the battle. Mm -hmm. So we kind of see the nod to that, but we never really see Xander feeling excluded because he doesn't have special powers or feeling less than because of that. Like, he's always there. He's always willing to be part of the team, to do what needs to be done, to Mm -hmm. be the really, the person who does the really unglamorous jobs. Yeah. Um, But hearing him talk about it, it's like, of course, like, how hard must it be to see your best friend become this super powerful witch, to see your other best friend be the most powerful fighter in the room to see your fiance, Mm -hmm. you know, turn into, or your ex fiance turn into this really powerful demon, you know, and then to still be the only person. And like Giles is also human, but he's got the knowledge, he's got the training Mm -hmm. and to be the person who's really just there because at the end of the day, you want to help. Yeah. And I mean, I think it also speaks really well to his friends. I want to say for letting him do that. And, letting him risk his life because it is his choice and they know he wants to do it. But I think it really puts into a different light something that maybe I wasn't always exper- like 
considering mm-hmm. that it must be really hard to be Xander. Yeah. I mean, it we have come up across a lot of his behavior, but I think that's a separate <laughs> issue. Yeah. Um, we have been, we have come across this a couple of times though, because there, ha- I mean, there's obviously the Zeppo, but I feel like there was one or two other times when Buffy was like, you need to sit this out because, you know, cause I can't risk you getting hurt or whatever. Like she has definitely said that to him before. Um, but I agree that like, we never really dwelt on, dwelled on it. And I mean, and Xander's just rarely the narrative point of focus. So I mean, really the only, we've only been a, in his point of view a f- couple of times. So I, I agree with what you're saying. And I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's a very nice sentiment. And even Xander a little bit more than Don, like he really could cut and run. You know what I mean? Like Buffy's not his sister. She's just his friend. Not to say that friendship isn't powerful and they're not their own like unit by this point, but like he has had plenty of opportunities to duck out if he didn't want to keep risking his life. So I agree. I I think it is a nice acknowledgement of how hard he, he does work. And in the background, I even actually think he was like, Oh, I'm all I'm good for is fixing windows. But I think that is a really like appropriate metaphor for kind of like what he does for the group is it's like, he's worrying about all the actual real life details so that they can focus on these bigger things. It's like a metaphor for support staff in an office is a thought that I have. <laughs> have you ever no, had a job like that? That's and then a really like, valuable you know role. What? I mean, yeah. think about it. He's sourcing the venue for Buffy to fight the Torah Khan. He's, you know, kind of the eyes and ears on the ground at the high school in areas that they can't get to. He's, you know, driving people around and like, but that's stuff that needs to happen. Maybe only has one of the only stable and like sufficient sources of income in the group as well. You know, like I don't, it's not clear to me how they're dividing up anything or that he's even pitching in, but it's, I think it's totally feasible that he is. I I mean, is he still working at this point though? God only knows. It's hard to suss out some of these details, but I guess, yeah, it is a thought that I have from time to time, too, just in my in my real life. I mean, I think in in the world and in the news, there's always this like push for like how to be a good leader. But there's not a lot of time spent on like how to actually get things done. And you really can't you can't the world can't only be leaders, you know. So I, I yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to reiterate that, like, I think this is a really powerful moment. It's fine that he's not going to be the central character from here on out. Like, I'm happy to just think about this from time to time for this particular show, but I do think it's a really important point to make. Yeah, and I also was struck by Xander saying this to Dawn, who is, you know, for a couple seasons now has been just, you know, Buffy's ordinary sister, but who was introduced as this mystical thing. Right. And to have to give her the speech of, like, you're you're not nothing, you're not unimportant, you're not just because you're normal, you're extraordinary. It's like, well, Dawn kind of is extraordinary. Yeah, like she, that's true. She was already uh, this, like, being a mystical, you know, light or whatever she was supposed to be and has just kind of now wound up human. Now, of course, she doesn't remember her existence before right. becoming human, yeah, and for all weird. intents and yeah. purposes, she is just a normal human girl. But I was also like, that's... That's also, I think, in some way what made it really powerful is, like, Mm. even if you come from this, like, extraordinary beginning, you don't necessarily have this inherent skill that maybe other people around you have. And so she doesn't just get to be special because of the circumstances of her existence. Mm -hmm. Like, she has to earn it. And which is maybe a metaphor for for life and how, (laughs) you know, being born special doesn't make you special, just saying. But, um, but I also really like Xander kind of laying it out that 
yes, this is really tough and you are really good at doing this and you help every day and that's not nothing. And I think this concept, like, you know, we think of all the times Xander has accidentally saved the day or, you know, I mean, without Xander, the world would have ended. Right, right. It's true. It's not that he hasn't contributed. It's just that he doesn't usually get all the credit for it. And... I, I don't know what I'm trying to say, except that I just feel like it really was really powerful. And I think it was a nice thing to call out in the final season. Yeah. Because other than the Zeppo, other than the finale of last season, Xander really hasn't had his moments to shine. And Dawn certainly has only recently had moments where she's not a hindrance rather than a help. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to acknowledge that, like, they are doing some of the hard heavy lifting and they're letting everybody else get on with the business of fighting evil. Um, And also that Dawn might need to hear it because we also see at the beginning of this episode that she is clearly feeling a little bit left out and unremarkable because Buffy's spending all of her time and attention and energy on these potential slayers and not really having the time to spend with just her sister. Which was something that she promised she would do also. You know, I'm like, obviously she has a really good reason to be slacking on that front. I'm not criticizing her, but I, yeah, I mean, especially at this time when, like, they made all this progress together and had started spending more time together and Dawn had started getting trained herself to have to kind of give that up again. Yeah. And also, I really want to just give Dawn kudos. Like, Dawn has been ratty in the past and really annoying, but the moment she realized what was going on with that other girl, she was like, here you go. Like, it's not me. And maybe she was a little relieved that that wasn't the case, but she didn't even hesitate. And, I mean, you know, maybe season six Dawn would have lied about it for another episode (laughs) or two. So that was kind of a nice moment for her, too. Yeah. And Um, and also, though, I want to bring up what Dawn said to Xander at the of end, course. which I didn't know if maybe it was foreshadowing. Oh, it a hundred percent is. Yeah. Because she says Xander's power is seeing. Yeah. Everything. No, thousand percent that's okay. in there. So that assert other things will be more land even harder. Yeah. I okay. think about that. Cause all I was the time. like, <gasps> like I literally went, Oh no. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I always think about that. And I have to say as much as like, yeah, is, Maybe Xander's bigger moment is saving the day at the end of his last season. But this is the thing that I always think about and come back to is like, oh, that speech that he gives Dawn in Potential. And it's just so like, it's so heartfelt. It's so earnest. And, you know, Nicholas Brennan is like typically one of the least strong actors on the show, especially when it comes to drama, you know, dramatic scenes. Like he is definitely can like carry his weight in the comedy parts, but I think this was one of the first times that I've been like, I actually really enjoyed what he did. And as like basic of a line as it maybe is, like when he tells her like, oh, you're not special, you're extraordinary. Like it just gets me every time, you know, like it's hard not to really feel that. It's just such a beautiful way of saying what he's saying. I mean, I think that's the moment I burst into tears. It always is. Yeah. Yeah. So I agree. What a great episode. Honestly, the whole thing, watching the whole thing is worth it. Like, there are a lot of plot holes in it now that we're talking about it. I'm like, yeah, Buffy gives them too many lectures and maybe the pacing actually is bad despite the three times that I've said the pacing was good already. But like the build, the build up to the Dawn and, and Xander scene is just really well earned. It really is. And also not to leave out that this is another episode that is actually really funny. Yeah. Um, a lot of moments of humor. I loved the the effort of Willow to say chrysal like the plural of chrysalis and then <laughs> yeah. just ends up with butterfly transformer pods. 
Also, Mil- <laughs> I, wait, I'm sorry. I literally called her Millie in my notes because that's her name in um, Freaks and Geeks. But I did also get a lot of kicks out of imagining. I'm like, oh, she left the mathletes for swing choir. But swing choir at Squire is still like this nerdy thing that's getting like bullied by the other choir. <laughs> Jazz also choir that she or whatever. was like, maybe we could just sick the vampire. Yeah, the <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, eh, fair enough. Okay. Should we move on? Well, yeah. That Sorry, that, that wasn't like uncertainty. Like, yeah, maybe. It was more uncertainty like if we must. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> I, I, okay. I don't want to. Let's just, just tell the, the good <laughs> people just, what happened. Okay. Before I just. Yeah, I'll yeah. also try and keep it brief. Although, there, as kind of with the last episodes, it's like a thousand things happened. <laughs> Maybe none <laughs> yeah. of them were interesting, but I will also pause on the editorializing. So, you know, last episode, we decided, the everybody decided Angel's soul needs to put back. They open their little safe, and lo and behold, it's not there. So they go back to the guy who took his soul out in the first place, and they're like, hey, can you, like, still do it? And he says no. So they need to find Angel's soul. Meanwhile, Angelus is still there, sort of tormenting everybody, or at least purporting to, you know, there's fallout from Angel Angelus's revelations last week and the kind of situation with Fred, Gunn, and Wesley, which is that Fred and Gunn break up. Um, yeah, but meanwhile, Lila shows, shows up in the basement where they're keeping Angelus. Sure, of course she does. Anyway, she's maybe trying to make a deal with him and, you know, and then they kind of catch her. And so then she's part of this and she and Wesley have like sort of a heart to heart, but mostly she just reveals, oh, I actually do know something about the beast because I found it in this book. And Wesley's like, well, I have that book and mine doesn't have anything about him. And so lo and behold, uh, Lila got her copy of the book from a pandimensional black market. So it's from another dimension and therefore is has a slightly is is coming from a place that has a, a different reality than the one that they're currently living in. So it turns out there is more going on with the beast, which shocker. So the beast isn't the ultimate big bad. He's working for someone else and so has gone to all these pains to erase himself from this particular reality so that nobody will be able to track that down, which is why Angel didn't remember meeting him, is why they can't find any information about him in his book, in their books, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So great. They've figured that out. Um Let's see. They don't know who he's working for. Uh, and uh, maybe Angelus reveals a few more personal details. And then they, uh, Cordelia has a perfectly timed vision that tells her, oh, even if we don't find his soul in this little special case that it's in, we can still cast a spell that will restore his soul. I feel like I just said the wrong word a second ago, but whatever. You can hopefully follow along with what I'm saying. So... Uh, Cordelia sends them all on this, you know, scavenger hunt for all these different materials that they need so that they can cast a spell on Angelus. Uh, they do it. They test him with Lorne to make sure that he's really turned back into Angel and he passes with flying colors. And then he and Cordelia have, the, you know, he's still too nervous to come out of the cage, but Cordelia convinces him that he should come out. Um, but haha, of course, he's still Angelus. So he like knocks Cordelia out tries to go on a rampage, realizes there's no one to hunt in L.A. It's no fun because the city is in such array, like such a state of disarray that everything's kind of already been done. So he comes back to the hotel and chases down Lila and Cordelia. 
yeah, and then and then in a sh- in a bit of a shocking moment, maybe uh, <laughs> while Lila's on the run from Angelus, she runs into Cordelia, who uh, stabs her in the neck and kills her, <laughs> and reveals that and she so uh, the- let out Angelus yeah. on purpose. That it, she wasn't tricked by him; she knew what she was doing. So, <laughs> tell me so, how this relates to Calvary. <laughs> uh, well, I'm assuming it's the ongoing like mental anguish of dealing with Angelus, or I don't, I don't, I don't. Can know. I tell you what I think? Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a pretty good um, representation for about where this episode of Angel is, which is that they've given it this really weighty name that has all these like historical and religious implications to make the episode sound important. But in fact, it was nonsense. Like the fact that I can't piece, I can piece no like real meaningful associations out of that name. And it's like kind of a pretty loaded term, like the religious side of it that I'm like, why are you calling this this? And that's kind of how I felt about the whole episode. I was like, you think you're doing things that are so important and they're just not working you know, for the well, most part, there are things that I liked about this episode. Uh, surprise, surprise! It was mostly Lila. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, I had a I had a real moment when Lila shows up where I was just like, "Wait, what?" Yeah, like, I just totally because we were talking when she disappeared at the um, end of Habeas Corpses. Like, oh, is this the the last we see of Lila? And turns out. No. Mm-hmm. And I guess I should have assumed she came back only to die. Right. But it was great to see Lila again. And we get a little bit of closure with her and Wesley, like, yeah. because she's, you know, seeing. I mean, oh, did we mention that Gunn and Fred broke up? I did. I, yeah. Well, I okay. tried to. It was in a really convoluted sense. <laughs> yeah. So, like, Lila's obviously aware that Wesley is, like, clearly trying to make his move with Fred. But, like, it was great having her around. But I also think that. She's the high point of this episode. She, she, and I, yeah. Everything else is like, especially the moment where Cordelia stabs her in the neck. Yes, it's shocking. It, yes, it's it? jarring. Yeah. It's also a huge shame because it's how we get rid of Lila, who has really turned into one of the more enjoyable elements of this show. And also the moment where here we go. Yeah. Like, because at this point, we don't know what the hell is going on with Cordelia. I think the show was heavily telegraphing who the culprit was. I think because... Yeah, I agree. Or maybe I thought they were because I knew who it was. But, like, the camera kept cutting to Cordelia when they were like, the Beast has a boss or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And Cordelia has yet another iffy vision. And even Angelus as Angel is kind of trying to convince her to let him out of the cage or, like letting her think she's convincing him or something or it doesn't even matter because it was all fake. Right. But like, you know, he's saying like, well, your visions haven't really been a hundred percent and they haven't. And so in hindsight, it's really clear, like all of this is for show, but or I like mean, all, I don't all understand of what she was doing was for show, like the trick. spell and all of that stuff. But, yeah. and, it, and it's also clear that Angelus is not in on it. Right. That's what I don't quite understand still. Yeah. Well, okay. Which, but let's sure all might be revealed, but I just... It's a lot of I, this falling apart. Can we talk more about Lila, though? Because I have a few things to say. Yes. I guess what I wanted to just say before I finish was, like, we talked in two episodes ago about a really well-done, effective twist. Yes. Right? And yes. this show also ends on a twist, but it is not effective or well-done or boding well for what's to come. Yeah. So just going to say that. Yeah. No, I mean, I totally agree. 
obviously. Um, what? Okay, so, I mean, out the gate, they kind of bring Lila back, and it's not clear what her plan is. And I think anybody making deals with Angelus, I'm a little bit, like, side-eyeing, because clearly that's a waste of time. <laughs> but aside from that, I... Here's what I like about Lila. <laughs> I... I, I found her little speech about how, like, you know whose side I'm on? Mine. I was like, this is oddly really motivational. <laughs> like, kind of giving me more than everything Buffy said in the last two episodes. Where I was like, I, I get it. I know that she's a villain. And I know that this ultimately leads her to, like, make completely amoral decisions. But, like, the actual instinct of, like, hey, no one else is helping me. No one else is going to help me. And I'm going to do it is, like, really, I think there's... a a crumb there that should be respected. And at a minimum, it just makes her so interesting because it's like, she's not just evil and she's not just chaotic. She has this really clear motivation, which is to protect herself. So I guess I just, I like it because like, it's part of what makes Lila so consistent. I think it's relatable, even if it's not something that you agree with or condone. And then that, um, yeah, shoot. I forget what the second thing that I had that I really liked about Lila but that was the main one. I just, oh, that in this episode also, she was the one who had to make a pitch for like, shouldn't you guys be willing to sacrifice yourself for the greater good? And like, obviously she was being, a, I think she was being a little bit facetious, but like, I just love that Lila of all people is the one that suggests this like, guys, also we could maybe solve all of the problems if you just let, I, I don't buy her logic in, with Angelus, but I like that she's the one who's like, we could just let Angelus kill the beast. And then you're like, yeah, he'd probably kill you too. But like, wouldn't that be worth it? And I was like, kind of, kind of. <laughs> okay. So those are my two main Lila thoughts. And I just, I, I liked her and Wesley, not exactly getting closure, but it was nice to kind of, they had pretty good closure before, but I just like seeing them together no matter what. No, always. And I love the way that they clearly seem to really know each other. Like mm-hmm. even now, like, you know, their moment in the little sewer lair was actually kind of touching and you know Lila does happen to have like helpful information of course she does because she's Lila and she's not even in hiding and underground not going to be useless like Mm -hmm. she's still working the angles um which of course is Lila but here's what I get really angry about that they brought her back and it's so obvious because one, they've made it so that Lila is a character that you almost want to root for despite the fact that she's evil. Mm-hmm. But she's still a villain and she's still evil. So they clearly wanted to have Cordelia kill someone. Right. But they clearly brought Lila back for her to be the one that Cordelia kills. Yeah. But it's okay because Cordelia killed Lila. Right, of so course. it's not as bad because she didn't kill anyone that we're supposed to really care about. Yeah, totally. Um, which I think is a is kind of like it's a, it's like chickening out. Like either you're gonna make this happen, or like, or you're not. Yeah. And by having her kill Lila, just doesn't really seem. I mean, yes, it's shocking, and and I will just straight up admit I did not remember. No, that happening. neither did like, I. <laughs> the whole episode, I was like, does Lila die? Like what? You know. <laughs> yeah. But like, but I think it's kind of cheapened by the fact that it's Lila that she kills because I almost feel like why have her murder anyone? It would have been a lot more shocking if she had just walked up to the cage, Angel still obviously Angelus, and, like, let him out. I agree, yeah. To me, that would have been a better twist than having her unnecessarily kill Lila, because there's also no point in killing Lila. Well, that's what what I was going to say. It's also just, like, Lila had a perfectly good send-off already, so a little bit 
twisting the knife to bring her back just to kill her because I have a feeling we're going to do the same thing with some other female characters before the end of the show. And I don't have enough of the stats in my head to feel like, yes, they definitely only do this to the women characters. I don't think that that's completely true, but it's like a little bit. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, and another one to just kind of lose because they don't mean anything. Well, they already brought Darla back just to kill her. I guess that's what I'm saying is is like Lila fits that pattern too. And it's really frustrating because she's been such a rewarding development, like an unexpected one and like so rich and like ready to be explored in the narrative of the show. So it's like, of course they brought her back just to kill her. And to your point, I totally agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Right. And especially this season when they gave her like depth and character growth and like an arc and all of this. And it was, yeah, it does feel really annoying. And it also feels like you're right. Like that is the only reason they brought her back. And I mean, I could make a case that maybe she's threatening because she's the only one who discovered that there was another book that had a mention of the beast. Like she's the only person who's found any concrete evidence of the beast. And maybe that's why, but doesn't really seem know. clear if that's it like otherwise it's just like oh we brought lila back for the hell of it and the comedy and then we're just gonna kill her yeah and i just it, it it didn't leave a great taste in my mouth like it didn't you know i was a little bit shocked at the twist and then i went come on like yeah <laughs> well and the other thing is that because lila is always so interesting and intriguing and like the way that she interacts with all the other characters is so interesting like they they could have um, kept her around for a few episodes before killing her. And like, you know, like her, like accidentally slash on purpose, breaking the coffee machine was funny. Like, or making the coffee maker was funny. Like I, I like this idea that like, she's so invested in self-preservation that she of course will work with them for a while. So why not let her work with them for a while and let it be awkward and like, let her, you know, say these kind of damning things like, hey, if you really cared about this, wouldn't you sacrifice yourself for the greater good? And then, you know, I don't know. I just feel like she's she's a great foil for all of Angel Investigations. This is a waste to throw her out so quickly. Yeah. So to that point, I already made this complaint last week, but I just, I don't feel like they're using Angelus really fruitfully at all. (laughs) Effectively? Yeah, and... I okay, so Alex and I already did this quick debrief where he was like, Oh, they're trying to do a Silence of the Lambs thing, right? Where you have to like do deal with the devil because he understands the enemy, but they are not pulling it off. And I totally, totally agree because what makes Hannibal Lecter perhaps a like interesting and entertaining villain is that he gets to the like the core of what is bothering you and not just like is it just a gossip? <laughs> you know, like all he Angelus is. has done is gossip. Like I was standing there. I was like, okay, here's the thing. Yes. He brought some of this stuff to the forefront, but number one, the Cordelia and Connor thing, Angel already knew. So that actually pretty much did, revealing that did almost nothing. And then in like in somehow instigating Fred and Wesley to kiss is so much less interesting than if he had gotten Fred to admit why Gunn killing that guy was bothering her so much, you know? Because it's still not clear to me, like, is it because she wanted to murder him? Is it because it made her think of Gunn differently? Or is it both of those? I'm like, this drama does have a crux, and you didn't even make an effort to get to it. So, like, yes, her kissing Fred, or I'm sorry, her kissing Gunn, oh, God, whatever. (laughs) Her kissing Wesley is like a little bit of interesting drama, but that's not what Angelus would do. Or at least he wouldn't end there. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh God, it's just so unsatisfying to have him not really get under their skin. 
Oh, and then to out the fact that Wesley was sleeping with Lila right. to Fred. Like, I agree with you. I don't really buy that Fred would, like, really be that bothered by it, given that they weren't... Well, maybe she would be, but, like, she would think about it for two seconds and be like, okay, well, Wesley literally had no one else yeah. for months. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. like, okay. And then she was with Gunn. And, like, you're right. Like, the ultimate problem with Fred and Gunn despite what the show really wants us to believe, is not that Wesley has a crush on Fred. Mm -hmm. It's that Gunn killed her professor and Fred almost killed him and Fred is not happy now with, like, what that means. And they haven't talked about it at all. And they haven't talked about it. And But, like, to turn it into, oh, Wesley has a crush on you and... I think you're reciprocating it. First of all, with no evidence that Fred is actually reciprocating it, which is really unfair. And, like, the way they're having all of these conversations about her in front of her. And also, in this episode, Wesley wants Fred to apologize to Gunn for him. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> like you guys what if you guys that. just talked for yeah. once? Like, what if you just went to Gunn and apologized <laughs> yeah, instead agreed. of having friend, Fred do your, like emotional homework for you like i was just like so pissed about that first of all and second like that's that is the ultimate crux of like what is wrong here is a continuing failure to communicate yes um specifically with but it is not mm -hmm. just a surface love triangle and then also like angelus is trying to like play up the fact that like lila is there too and like obviously lila is happy to like call out the petty stuff Mm -hmm. but like it's so infuriating that like 60% 60% of the drama in this episode was still that. Yeah. And here's the other thing. The worst thing that Angelus has had to say to Wesley was like, oh, your dad didn't love you enough. Which, again, is like, we already kind of went down this path. And I'm pretty sure, like, yeah, I guess that's still a thing for Wesley. But why didn't why didn't Angelus reflect on all the, the like, fallout between the two of them like I feel like that could have been very revealing or very rewarding like either he could have sided with Wesley like yeah I would have done the same thing and then Wesley would have to question like hey I did the thing that Angelus would have done like maybe I should think about it again or like I don't know it just feels like yeah he doesn't even mention the fact of like Wesley yeah you're right like Angel is kind of terrible at like he's literally a gossip warfare because he's like fo- yeah he's like only focused on like the surface level stuff and that's not what he ever did you know or at least that's not been my impression of him i i know it's different maybe, with buffy because maybe the problem is that angel angelus the character is being badly written in this scenario because the show like the writers truly don't understand where the drama lies i like, think that's we've it. talked about this before they they have this weird inability to really recognize the things that make this show tick. Yeah, and the things that are going right. (laughs) Yeah, and I think this is the same thing. Like, they're trying to show us a team that is, like, barely holding it together, and they're trying to convey that the drama comes from, like, a love triangle or, you know, Cordelia sleeping with Connor and, like, Angel, you know, um, being mad about that and, like, all this interpersonal drama. But that's not really the the issue Mm -hmm. here. It's, like, this team has a fundamental lack of communication. Right, right. They don't really seem to be all that fond of each other. Right, and, like, and like do they not trust they each other? Really address, exactly. They don't really trust any of this. It's like every episode they're learning to trust each other again, and it's like that's way more interesting to explore totally. than like, oh, um, you kissed my girlfriend. Right, like, right. It's so on. weird. 
So Especially weird. in the face of, like, what they're up against. Like, if they really want us to feel the dire effects of, like, having to go up against yet another apocalypse, I think the thing that might make it feel more apocalyptic is, like, I don't know if we're going to make it through this, like, together. Yeah. Rather than just, like, I don't know if we're going to make it through this. Right. So. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I just, that was really annoying. So, like, I would forgive all the plot holes sure. if the emotion and the character work held through, but it doesn't. No. Like, at all. No. Also, I, I just want to raise the most important point of this entire episode mm. that I think was a giant failure of the show. Mm-hmm. And you maybe you don't agree that it's on the level that I think uh-huh. it is. But this concept that nobody knows anything about the Beast because somebody wiped oh knowledge God. of the Beast from this dimension, and the only reason Angelus yeah. remembers yeah. is because... <laughs> It was Angel's mind at the time. Yeah, uh, yeah, that got a real Excuse big side eye from me, me as well. Uh, no, what? That makes zero sense. You cannot wipe one mind and not the other. And jealous, and Angel have the same mind. Yeah, they do. It doesn't make any sense. No, and they just and they just I was said like, that like it made sense. His mind was physically on this plane. I don't understand <laughs> what you want us to think is happening. Like yeah. this is going on with this thing where they want us to think that Angelus and Angel are totally different people, and somehow when he's Angel, Angelus isn't there. But this is not like I've said. This is not a Jekyll and Hyde situation. No, like no. Literally, Angelus. And Angel have the same mind. It's just that when Angel has a soul, yeah, he's, got different. he's supposed to use it differently. Right, right. No, it's so true. Um, I almost threw my computer. I was like, come on. I thought what you were going to say, because <laughs> here was another uh, little uh, bee in my bonnet, was, so, okay, they need, Cordelia has this vision, and she's like, we need to go, I know how we can cast this spell, and sends them all on a scavenger hunt. You know, Gunn and Connor have to go get this skull. Everyone else apparently has to go digging through the trash for, like, chicken bones and whatnot. I, I actually thought all that stuff was pretty funny when Fred was like, yeah, you've had, to, I had to go through the blah, blah, blah. And they like the talking about how they made these talismans. I thought was funny, but Fred shows up talking about how she's been in the dumpster and her hair is, is curled now. I was like, what? what? Yeah. Who made this wardrobe choice? Like first Fred, I, I, it really seems to me like Amy Acker has naturally straight hair. I could be getting fooled by all of the, you know, hair and makeup on this show, but regardless, like, that was a lot of effort to curl her hair. I don't understand how she had time to do that. Like, the world is ending is not the time to curl your hair. Are we supposed to think she made herself pretty for Wesley? I don't, I don't know. Understand. I also, <laughs> why? I also why had that moment that? where I was like, why are they making her all dolled up for this? Like, it was really weird. It was so weird. Also, legitimately, I thought they had fixed the sun. I forgot that that was just oh, part yeah. of Angel's dream. <laughs> so, like, Angelus goes outside, and there's, like little baby vampires running around mm-hmm. and I was like and they showed like the sun all blacked out and I was like what and then, <laughs> then I remembered <laughs> oh, yeah. all right it was a dream okay but do you want to know the other major plot hole that I noticed I do. which is is not so much maybe it's not a plot hole as it's just like this show really not understanding its history and its character work and its well-established patterns mm-hmm. which is that Every single one of them should have known that it wasn't Angel because Angel is well-established as a Manilow guy. And if he was going to sing yeah. for Lorne, he would have sung Barry Manilow. Well, I did read on the wiki that Barry Manilow has covered that song. So apparently yeah. that's the... <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't buy that. No, I agree. <laughs> I mean, also, what also, kind of explanation then they have to cook up so that to make that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. There's so much that didn't make sense. 
Like, I don't know how that spell fooled Lauren. No, I don't either. Yeah. I don't know. They should be suspicious I'm of Cordelia's excited. visions at this point, though, honestly, because I even when they were casting that spell and like Wesley has to give an incantation. And I'm like, was her vision so specific that she got the incantation out of it? Because that has never happened before. <laughs> right. Like he, he didn't just say no. like three words. He had to like read a whole thing. I was like, you did not get that. They should have questioned that. All of her visions have been weirdly specific, which is strange because when they came from the powers that be, they were all disjointed mm-hmm. and like, so. you know, messy and like this is like okay i'm getting a recipe from yeah the operator yeah like and her eyes are turning white yeah why i yeah yeah well like i said this doesn't bode well for what's to come it doesn't um i wish like, we would just get it over with the demolition of the character of cordelia chase yeah which is so infuriating because she is one of the best characters in the entire Buffy universe. She is. Her and Lila. <laughs> they both met yeah. their demise in this episode in a, in a manner. <laughs> in a way, yes. This was not just the death of Lila Morgan. It was also the death of Cordelia Chase. Are one of them supposed to be Jesus? Is that what Calvary means? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Doesn't I, make sense. Angel's not him. I told you, I was unfamiliar with both definitions Man. of this term. So. Well, if, there, if there's something really obvious that we're missing, please tell me. Again, the only thing, yeah. the explanation that I see is that it is a, it's a reference to, like, uh, like where a place of a skull, and they have to dig up that skull, which is, like, by far the weakest, like, explanation of even the ones that we're coming oh. up with. Oh! Wait, wait, wait. Okay, here's another wrinkle to the definition. Mm-hmm. So... I was looking at the origins. So Calvary was first used in our language over a thousand years ago as the name of the place outside ancient Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified. Mm-hmm. This name comes to English from the Latin word for skull. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay. Where there was a skull. I know, but I'm just saying naming your episode Calvary, which had Calvary, <laughs> naming, naming your episode Calvary, which has a lot of connotations just because literally there was a skull in it. And a skull that ultimately didn't even really mean anything is just... Is the, is the epitome of this show. Oh, we came up with this great important term. Didn't mean anything. I'm like, yeah, I guess it feels right, but it is disappointing. It's, it's accidentally very on brand for Yeah, them. exactly. I think they meant something different, but I'm just not getting it. I, maybe we're just not getting it. All right. Yeah. Well, all right. All right. Well. <laughs> Let's end it on that disappointing note. Yeah. At least potential um, okay. was great. Yes, it really was. Okay, so next time we have... Oh, I don't have this. Uh, Buffy is uh, the killer in me. The killer in me? Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Angel is an episode and called Salvage. Salvage. See, I know what that word means. We'll see how close <laughs> <it goes. laughs> Okay. Um, I don't really remember either so, of those. like... No, I, I really don't either. And I think I also just looked up what the killer in me hmm. was, but I don't really remember. Um, <clears throat> so we'll be talking about those. And then it's been two days since I asked you, but do you have any pop culture? Well, I mean, it's not a, a, a mini one. Yeah. Which is just that um, there's a new season of Terrace House. It's been out for months, actually. I'm just really behind. And I was kind of putting it off just because... You know, you don't want to be disappointed, but it's been good so far. So 
they're back in Tokyo. There've been some pretty good moments. Um, yeah, I'm in, I'm enjoying it. I never really continued, but I will say the episodes that I watched, I really enjoyed. And I think my favorite part is like like the round table. It's so that good. They're them. so funny this season. Actually, you're right. That's what's been. They've been really great this season. Like better than they normally are. And they're already really good. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't really have anything. Although I did start watching the second season of Runaways, oh, okay. and they are finally Runaways. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> that's nice. And I do think so far the second season is better. Than oh, the good. First okay. One. I should really finish. Um, I don't know if it will remain that way, but it's definitely more interesting with them being on the run. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my okay. Update. I like um, it. Uh, as for teams, <laughs> I. I want to admit that I am in a position that I never thought I would be in mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. And that I can't decide yeah. between, between Dawn and Xander. Xander and Dawn. <laughs> I know, what a world. Like, I was thinking about it earlier. I was like, who am I going to choose? And I was like, what a weird position yeah, to be I agree. in. <laughs> um, well, I'm Team Xander. I feel like I almost gave the edge to Dawn because she did have like the harder thing in the moment, mm-hmm. but I just, Xander gave the speech and made me yeah, cry. Exactly. So <laughs> yeah. Also, this is like another layer that I don't know how to build it into the concept of like this universe, but watching that scene also made me really thoughtful about where Dawn and um, Xander end up. And I was just kind of like, Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Mm. They're bonding. Yeah, I, I agree. Do you, do you, do you know what I'm referring I think so. to in the yes. comics? Yes. That they're yes. together <laughs> in the comics. Yes. I hope I'm not spoiling that. Or at least in the old one. I don't know. I think they restarted the comics with like a new storyline. So, I mean, this is my problem with comics. I never know. Where to jump in. Or like what's canon and what's not. Because now that they're like restarting the Buffy comics, like what does that mean for the other ones? So, I, yeah, I don't really They just know. all exist. I guess, but, like, what's canon, what's mm. not, is this supposed to... Because, like, they were presented as kind of, like, a season eight, so it's, like, a continuation of this story. I haven't kept up to um, enough to explain this to you. <laughs> I have not kept up, but I I stopped around season nine, I think. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I guess it doesn't really matter for the purposes of this <laughs> podcast. Um, All right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we will be back with those other two episodes and i'll talk to you again bye once more with commentary is produced by me Allie, and me jenny our theme music is from the album rockingham by nerf herder and our podcast logo is by ryan cooney you can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback questions comments that you have and find us on twitter and instagram at omwc podcast You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com.